All right. We'd like to welcome you back into the service and uh, as we transition into the Word of God. I want to again welcome everybody here this morning, and I'm praying that uh, so far you've been blessed of the Lord for being here. Somebody said amen. Thank you. That's good. That's good. But uh, so... Uh, my name is Brian Stewart, and most of you know me, and for those who don't, I am uh, one of the pastors here. You saw our pastor as he was giving the announcement, so um, uh, we want to continue to pray for him, and uh, we're just glad to be here this morning, glad to have all of you. We're going to be dealing with and uh, talking out of book, uh, the books, I should say, of um, First uh, and Second Thessalonians, as we're reading through the New Testament. So we haven't really covered that yet. And your reading for this week is going to be 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, and also all of 2 Thessalonians, which is three chapters. And so you can read that this week. But we're going to try, since we haven't actually spoken on Thessalonians, one has actually spoken on that, we're going to try to cover the best of our ability and by the grace of God, those two books and uh, try to bring out uh, what we believe are some important truths and some high points and some uh, points that will edify us and encourage us and help us in our walk today and tomorrow and the rest of this week as we walk this walk of faith. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be reading mainly out of uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and, uh, and trying out of that particular chapter to, to summarize or to cover uh, what Paul talks about in Thessalonians and his epistle or his letter to the church at Thessalonica, in Thessalonica. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, there, are some, there are some important points as you, as you read that this week. First Thessalonians is one of... It's, it's one of the earliest of Paul's letters, if not the earliest of, of Paul's letters uh, to the church at Thessalonica. And, uh, and I say that's important to understand that because uh, a lot of times we say, well, uh, this is not written to us, but it's written for us. But Paul's letters are to the church, churches in different areas. But because there is ultimately one church, there's one church, one body, then all those things are relative and pertain to us. So it's important to understand that because sometimes we feel that, you know, because it was written in a certain time, it's not specifically or directly talking to us. But this is a little different than what we would deal with in the Old Testament. So, so some important points. One of the things that was going on in, in, in Thessalonica, the church at Thessalonians, in the book of Thessalonians, is that they were careless because Paul talked about the imminent return of Christ. And so there was some carelessness that was going on in the church and in that providence uh, about work. Because many were believing that because the return of Christ, and this is obviously in our day and time, it's, you're talking about 2,000 years ago practically, but because of the imminent return of Christ, and that was the focal point, 
that Paul said even then, 2,000 years ago, that the return of Christ was imminent, they felt that, well, since he's going to return soon, you know, I don't really have to focus so much on work. What's the point? And so there was some, there was some carelessness, there was some neglect, there was some false teaching concerning that. And then there was also some concern for believers who had already died. If, in fact, the return of Christ was imminent and Christ was ready to return soon, what about those who had already died? What was going to happen to them? And, and were they going to miss out on this great opportunity? And so these are some of the points that Paul had to address in his letters to the Thessalonians. And then there was also an incorrect teaching concerning their current persecution that they were suffering at that time because there were some, there was some, uh, some philosophies that were going about that this was, this suffering was a result of the great and notable day of the Lord or a great awesome day of the Lord or the day of God's wrath as was spoken of in the book of in the Old Testament. And so they thought because of what they were going through, this was that particular time frame or time period. And it's very good, clear. I was talking to a couple uh, just this past week, and uh, they were asking my, point, my, my opinion on some of the things that are happening, particularly some of the, the natural disasters and, and uh, things that are going on, earthquakes and floods and hurricanes and all the things that you see going on. That was God dispensing or was his wrath? Was he, in fact, showing his wrath because of mankind's unfaithfulness, lack of, lack of trust in him, lack of acceptance of him, so forth and so on. But it's important to know, since this book is to us, it is to the current church, it's important for you to understand where you stand concerning the wrath of God. And Paul talks about that because he said, he talks about in the fifth chapter, that we, the believers today, the body of Christ, we are not appointed unto wrath, but unto salvation. So it's important for you to understand that. This is the day of salvation. The day meaning the time period or dispensation, whatever semantics or word you want to use. And so when you see all these things going, some of these things are natural causes because of what we've done to the earth. And so as a result, some of these things are happening. But it is not the wrath of God being dispensed. Okay? The work of Christ is still prominent. The work of Christ is still the main topic and main issue today that Jesus came to save. And so that is still the issue today. Amen. So, and then it's important to note, I thought this was important to note before we get into the reading, that in 2 Thessalonians, I took note of this, and again, we try to I'm going to try to summarize this for you as much as we can. He talks about uh, the tribulation. Of course, we're going to talk about the rapture, and we explain, you know, for those who are not familiar with that word. But he talks about the tribulation in, in 2 Thessalonians. He also talks about the man of sin or the Antichrist. And these are very, what we would consider, most of us would consider, deep, teachings or very profound teachings or teachings that are set aside for more mature, spiritually mature uh, or seasoned saints. But it's important to understand that Paul, since this is one of the earliest, if not the earliest books that Paul wrote, 
the Thessalonians were very, they were young in the faith. Paul wrote this on his second missionary journey, and he spent approximately three weeks there. And so these are relatively new or young saints, not by age, so to speak, but by spiritual age. But yet he's, he's teaching them what we would call very deep truths or profound. We usually don't deal with these particular concepts unless we're reading in Revelation, which most of us don't like to read. I know, <laughs> I know when I was growing up, you know, we were scared of the book of Revelations. We were scared of it, you know, and, uh, oh, you know, the, 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 the symbolisms and things that were found in Revelations, and we were just, oh, my God, terrified until you come to really understand that <laughs> what the Reve book of Revelation is talking about. But these are also things that were talked about in the prophetical books in the Old Testament. But so I'm, I say that to say that here you have in First, First, First and Second Thessalonians where Paul is talking about these things to the church at Thessalonica to uh, relatively new believers. So it's important to say that these are things that are important to all of us and things that we should know, okay? They're fundamental truths, fundamental truths, okay? So we're going to get into the reading. I wanted to share that and show you just, just uh, again, just summarize some important points that it's important as you read this during the week. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, in the beginning of verse 1, it says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse 9, he says, not about your love for one another, not about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For, your love, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do, love, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. To make it, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business. Look at somebody if you're not afraid. <laughs> if you're not afraid of the consequences, tell somebody, mind your business. <laughs> oh, y'all scared. It's important to note, and Paul says that, to mind your own business. And, you know, he doesn't mean it. Well, I'm, I'm being facetious, but... He says, and to work with your hands. And there we're, we're, there we're, there's where you see Paul saying this because there was an issue with work. People not really having a mindset or a work ethic. So he's saying, and to work with your hands just as, you to, just as we told you so that your daily life may with, so, so that your daily life may win the respect of other outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Verse 13 says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe 
that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the, to the Lord's word, so, tell, so we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I'm going to take this. Y'all excuse me. So, so there you have it there. I, 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 I want to say, first, this, this is not uh, uh, fantasy or Disney. You know, when you read this, this is very poetic and seems like, you know, oh, my God, you know. But this is, this is fundamental truth. It's fundamental truth. And he says, he ends by saying, to encourage one another with these words. So now, if, when we look at it, I want to point out some things in, in this fourth chapter. When we look at that, he says several, on several occasions, in verse number one, he talks about, he says, the fact that you're living, now we ask you and urge you that, you, you, that, 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 that we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do that more and more. And he's talking about pleasing God. The desire to please God, that's important because it's like many of us who, uh, 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 with a relationship, uh, whatever the manner of relationship that is, there's always that pursuit. There's that pursuit that there's that, uh, that there's that, that excitement, that passion as we're pursuing that relationship. But after we attain the relationship, that pursuit, that passion that desire, that drive sometimes de decreases, decreases. So he's saying, listen, as you began with the desire to please God, I'm saying that you continue to do it more and more. So we ask ourselves the question, do my choices please God? That's what we have to ask ourselves daily. Do my choices Please, God. Then a more important question. Do I choose to please God? That's the difference. Do I choose to please God? And so that's, this is an exhortation. I think the book of Thessalonians, in summary, is an exhortation to continue and persevere in your walk of faith. Okay? In light of the promised hope that he talks about at the end of chapter, chapter 4. It's about continued pers perseverance and faith, okay? To continue to pursue, to continue to seek the things of God. That's what it's all about. And so now it's about the, that gap or that, 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 that space between salvation and perfection. See, the gap between salvation 
and perfection. The practical aspect of living in that gap. You know why we say that? I almost feel like I'm in the Bible, so I want to just ask y'all the question, because I love teaching Bible study, too. I say that because that's where we all are. That's where we're at, between salvation and perfection. What I do in that space, okay? What I do, and he, he starts off by saying, the first thing I want you to do, as you've already began, is to continue to please God, to seek what pleases him. Because that's all that matters. It's all that matters. He also says it again in verse number uh, 10. He's, he's talking about love. He says, and I urge you that you continue to do this more and more. And so, again, it's about an encouragement or a continued exhortation for you to continue and to persevere in your faith walk, to continue doing what you're doing. Sometimes we get frustrated. Sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we get discouraged. I mean, that's why Paul writes, he says, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we, what, don't faint or we don't give up. If we could continue what we're doing, we're going to reap the promise or the benefits of what God has said. But it's for us to continue to do what we've been doing. And so it's that gap, it's that space between salvation and perfection. I was talking to my daughter and we're talking about uh, my youngest daughter, uh, Zoe, who, who's, who's now a freshman in college, and we're talking about, and she plays basketball, we're talking about the difference between uh, excelling or becoming a great player as opposed to just being a good player. And this is what I said, and it relates to this. Every level that you get to, there is a sense of accomplishment. There's a level of accomplishment that has the tendency to bring contentment. So I went from high school and now in college and her, her, her ultimate goal is to play professionally. But you know, that's what you make goals and who knows. But at every level there is a sense of accomplishment. But the danger in that accomplishment is that sense of contentment that I'm satisfied with where I am, okay? And so now because I'm satisfied, I lose that, that discipline, that pursuit, that persistence that took me to get to where I am right now in the first place. See, I got to continue what I did to get there that got me there. Same thing in salvation. Same thing with I walk with the Lord. Many times salvation we attain salvation, that's the beginning point. But it's easy to find, and this is what was going on with some of the Thessalonians. They had got content, and now we're just waiting for the return of the Lord. You know, I'm saved. I'm just waiting for the return of the Lord. But no, there is that space between salvation and perfection. That all those things we talked about, we talk about, go on. Sanctification, propitiation, justification, all those things go on through that space. And so that is where you and I live, in that space. So then he gets down to uh, t 
talking about the rapture, okay? And that word, you don't find it in the Bible, so I just want, for those, the word you don't find in the Bible, but the phrase caught up, caught up is a Greek word that really is synonymous with rapture. It just means to snatch away or to, uh, to snatch away. And so we use the word rapture. There's other words uh, that you could use for it, but that's where we get that word. And so the truth of the matter is we are ultimately, or it, it literally, we are eternal beings. Our bodies obviously are not eternal, and when we die, they go to the dust. But our soul and our spirit, we are eternal creatures. Yet we don't talk about or even think about eternity that much. I would dare to ask the question, and I, I talked to some people about that this, this week, just doing a little survey. How many of you actually even talked about the idea of return? Now, the, the, you older people, I ain't going to ask y'all because y'all probably have. See what I'm saying? The, the older people probably have because they, there's more an understanding and a reverence as you get older and you start to think about mortality more. But he's speaking to new believers, okay? He's speaking to new believers, not those who are old in age, or someone may be old in age, but they're new believers, so these truths are new to them. And so this is the mindset because he says, Paul says this is another, in another, uh, in, in Corinthians, he says, set your affection on things above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of, of God the Father, and not on things on the earth. Okay, so our affection, our desires, our ultimate desires, this is where it should be. This is what we should be thinking about. Can you imagine, and I'm just throwing this out there, if the reward he is talking about at the end of this chapter, when he talks about the trump of God and the dead in Christ rising first, and this is something that we ought to be excited about. Every time we read it, we ought to get excited. Amen, somebody. All right. Make sure y'all, everybody wait. But it really is. It's something that we should be excited about, and it's something that we should talk about often. Because can you imagine if there wasn't a future hope? So everything I do between that space from salvation to perfection is based on that hope of eternity with him. So can you imagine if there was no hope? And what you did from salvation to perfection or salvation to the rapture didn't really matter. When you die, you just die. And you, ex you cease to exist. Can you imagine? That's why we should get excited and talk about often the rapture. <laughs> Come on, somebody. That's why. And that's why they were fearful. These Thessalonians were fearful. They were concerned about their loved ones and their friends because Paul's talking about the imminent return of Christ and the rapture, and they've got friends and loved ones and family members that have already gone on. So they're concerned what is going to happen to them. And Paul reassures them. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed that we who are alive are not going to perceive those 
who have already gone on. Okay, because the dead in Christ will rise first. There's a whole lot of teaching in that. I, I don't even have time to go into all the specifics of that, uh, the, you know, but it's, it's, it's awesome. But it's something that should certainly stir us up and encourage us and excite us, okay, in our walk to give us hope because we're saved by hope. We're saved by hope. If there was no hope, as I said before, he said, Paul said, we would be of all men most miserable if all we had to expect and to gain was in this life. We're, then we're, we're of all men most miserable if there was no hope for something better. And I can't promise you that everything is going to get better from salvation to perfection. I hear people talking about it all the time. Oh, I can't promise you things are going to get better. But I do know he's promised us that at the end, it's going to get better. Eternity is going to be better. Uncomparable to what we live today. Nothing can compare to it. I can promise you that if you have faith to believe it. And so, yeah, so, so again, we don't talk about it, but he says he wants, he says, uh, we want to encourage one another. He says at the end of that, he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. How many of us this week encourage somebody with those words? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not speaking or preaching at you. I'm saying these are things that, again, are real to me just as it is to you. And these are things that, as Paul's talking to the, the, the body of Christ, that we should all do. He says, encourage one another with these words. These, these words, these beautiful, this beautiful uh, verses here should, should encourage somebody, should give somebody hope, should lift you up in times of trouble, in times of despair, when things aren't going so well. But guess what? Even when things are going well, these, things, these words ought to encourage you. Because your hope ought to be to be with him in eternity. Forever, because he says this. He said, and 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 we and we will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with the Lord for how long? For how long? See, one reason we don't talk that much about eternity because we are not e eternal in our bodies, and we we don't live in an eternal state in terms of the earth. We're on this earth, and so it's, it's not eternal. And so our minds are incapable of even fathoming eternity. Even with our wildest and our, uh, the most imaginable and creative person who has a great imagination can't go to eternity when you start to think about that. It's far beyond our minds to really grasp that understanding. But that's what's so great about it. That's what gives us so much hope. But he says to encourage one another with these words. And so I want to give that to you because I want this to, to sink into your spirit. I want this to sink into your mind. That these are encouraging words. In these two books, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, not very long, five chapters in one, three in the other, but there's some powerful stuff. And this, again, is to believe believed to be Paul's first epistle to the churches. 
and some say it may have been Galatians, but it's definitely one of the first. One of the first. And so that should tell you how prominent, how important this letter is. Okay? So why do I need to encourage? What is so important about encouraging uh, one another? And what is so important even about the rapture? Because, and here's the answer, because it, 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 it changes or it reshapes my perspective of life. It changes and my perspective of life. It adds purpose and hope to my walk of faith. Okay, is what we said a few minutes ago. It adds purpose and hope. Because if there was no future hope, then my walk of faith will be meaningless. I heard some people say, uh, man, if, you know, this is spirit, you know, spiritual, real spiritual folks. I'm not one of them. <laughs> they say, oh, even if there was no heaven, and even if there was, I would still love the Lord, and I would still, I don't think so. I really don't. I mean, I know we think we're good, intrinsically good by nature, but we know that's not the case. <laughs> but the re it's just like the love of God. We love him only because he first loved us. We couldn't love him first. We're responding to his love. So how in the world we think that we would live this Christian life if there was no hope, if there was no future hope? You're delusional if you think that. But I'm so glad that there is a hope. I'm so glad that there is a hope. I'm so glad that there's something better than today. I'm so glad that there's something better that I could ever imagine. It doesn't matter how well life is for me right now. There is something far better that God has for me that I can't even imagine. And I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for that. And so... That's why it's important to encourage one another with those words. So now, when you talk about this future hope and you talk about the rapture as we know it being called away, and so uh, I'm just going to throw this in here. Uh, like I said, I can't really talk about all the things that are involved in this particular verses, but the rapture takes place. There is a tribulation period that is a seven years, which is, again, it's the worst time on earth, and this is when... The Antichrist takes over. Talk about one world government. Antichrist takes over. I'm going to just throw some of this stuff out to you, and you can read it later. But he makes an, an, an uh, uh, agreement with Israel because the church is taken out. Okay, The church is raptured because, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, the fifth chapter, and you can read later, we as body of believers are not appointed unto wrath. So the tribulation period is about the wrath of God. Okay, being dispensed on earth. He's dispensed grace all this time. But now it's time for his wrath. And so the church is taking out because we're not going through the wrath. If you believe that, that that's pre-tribulationist -tribula -tri -pre belief. That's what I believe. And so that is when the Antichrist, this, 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 this ruler, this one world government, who, who is controlled by Satan, takes over. He makes, a, he makes an agreement with Israel because after the church is gone, everything turns back to Israel. God's, God's plan, God's focus reverts back to Israel as it was from the beginning. Okay? 
So now he takes over one more government. He makes an agreement with Israel. And in, it talks about in, Daniel, in the middle of the week or the middle of that seven-year period, three and a half years, he breaks that covenant. He allows Israel during that first three and a half years to worship and to, to, uh, to, to do all the things, to practice the rituals and the, and the worship of Christ, of God, as they did in the Old Testament. But at three and a half years into it, he breaks that covenant. And then he goes about to destroy Israel. Okay? And this is, you're talking about who, one world government, he's controlling everything. And so, let's throw that at you. But now, when you know what God has for you, you know that we're going to be raptured. You know that there is a promised hope. There is a promised future. You know there's something better than this. You know this. And you know what? That's what's so awesome about God. The word of God, the Bible, you know, we look, if you look at almost every story in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, and he's dealing with those men of God and prophets and so forth and so on, he pretty much lays out what he's going to do. When he tells Moses to go to, e e uh, to Egypt, he lays it out point by point in terms of what Moses needs to do and even tells him Pharaoh's response. I'm saying that to say this, that the word of God and, and this, this salvation that we have, the end is already promised. It's already promised. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Knowing that and waiting on that is not always easy. It's not always easy. Waiting is hard. Even though I know, <laughs> I know he said, okay, we're going to be raptured. I know that I'm going to be with him in eternity. But because of life and the issues of life and the struggles of life, it's not always easy to wait. Matter of fact, waiting is one of the hardest things. That's why this book, I believe, is an excellent to perseverance and continuance in your walk, that you don't give up, that you don't lose heart, that you don't faint, that you keep doing what you're doing because the promise is guaranteed. But, but waiting, ugh, it's just not something we do naturally very well. As humans, we just don't. You say patience is a virtue, yes. <laughs> but it's a learn, it's a heart. It takes time to acquire that, to learn it. It's like Christmas. You, you, you know, I don't know. I'm only speaking from my perspective. I don't know if Christmas with our families is like it used to be. But I remember when I was coming up for Christmas, and you know, your parents, they ask you, you know, for the list. And you gave them the list of what you want. And you knew pretty much you was going to get everything on that list. I, I, I knew that. I was pretty confident that my mom and dad was going to do whatever it took <laughs> to get me everything on that list. And I'd even do some little investigating, a little peeping <laughs> to find out, to be sure. See, that's what we want sometimes. We want, Lord, just, you know, I know you said that, but if you just can give me a little assurance today, you know. But we knew we were going to get it. But waiting for the day to arrive, 
Oh, my God. Couldn't sleep at night. Waking up every hour, right? Is it time yet? <laughs> go back to bed. I can remember my mind. Go back to bed. It's not time yet. I remember walking in the living room looking, and they'd have the gifts under the tree. And my dad, you know, things that needed to put together, he'd put them together. I was cheating. I, I would, you know, and the whole room was just a glow. You know, it looked like the burning bush. You know what I mean? The room was just glowing. I was peeking in there. I said, oh, man, you know. But waiting, man, it was hard. Same thing, knowing and waiting, two different things. But we've got to wait. But what helps us to wait is that hope, is that reassurance. If we believe by faith in what God has said, that he's promised the end result. He's already promised that Satan would be defeated. We already know that. But it doesn't make it easier as we're going through the process. Because that's the process. Amen? There is a process. So I believe, again, as I reiterate that it, Thessalonians is to encourage us. To encourage us to persevere. To continue with what we're doing with, the, with the, 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 the expectation of that future hope, that future hope that we're going to be with him for eternity, for eternity. So now as we get ready to conclude, as we consider the conclusion of the whole matter, how many have asked, whether it's in a circumstance or a situation, whether aspect of life, whatever aspect of life you've been in. How many have asked sometimes, Lord, what is your will? I want to know what your will is. How many of you don't have to show because everybody can raise their hands. I, and if you don't raise your hand, you're not being honest. Everybody has asked that. I've asked that. Lord, what is your will? What is your will? And so, in every circumstance, it, he, he gives us this to encourage us and to edify us. He says in 5.18, in 5, yeah, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18, he says it this way. He says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the Lord's will. For you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks. Thankfulness, the mindset of being thankful, which is obviously in, a, in, a, in opposition to complain or worry. God has laid out so much for us, so much for us, so many promises. And it's very clear that all the promises, as, you see, as he says in 1 Corinthians, all the promises of him in Christ Jesus are yea and amen. In other words, you can trust in them. They're going to come to pass. But so many benefits and blessings, but that waiting. I, when I was working at the prison, uh, particularly later on in my career, uh, I, I, I felt blessed because I worked in an organization uh, with a job that um, 
I thought I was blessed. I mean, we had great benefits. I don't know what they're doing now. Not, you know, I don't know if it's still the same, but great benefits, uh, vacation time, sick leave time. You know, I retired. I had almost 2,000 sick leave hours on the book. You know, uh, how many jobs you work in, you can do that? I, that means I could probably take off for six months to a year and still get paid. How many jobs can you can do that? Not very many. You know, but, but great job, great benefits. And later on in my career, I noticed how everybody was complaining so much about the job. <laughs> Yet we've got these great benefits. So that's what he's saying. Don't complain. It's not always easy. Don't worry, because it's the opposite of faith. But in every circumstance, give thanks. Because here's what he's saying, and this is what I want you to take note of as you read this. One of, one of the things Paul writes, and he says this in the Second Thessalonians at the end of that chapter, he talks about this is, uh, for lack of a better word, and I'm paraphrasing, this is his M.O., so to speak. He always concludes the books with grace and peace. Grace and peace. And one of the reasons I believe he says that because he's writing these books predominantly to Gentile Christians, which are, mo I, I, there might be a few in here, but I, I, I think most of us are Gentile by nature, okay? And so he is saying that if anybody ought to know or, or appreciate or understand or be thankful for grace and peace, it ought to be Gentiles. Because we were not children by nature. We were grafted in, the Bible says, in semantics. We were adopted. We were adopted. And if, if you know anything about adoption, see, a lot of people believe adoption is a negative word or even a negative, almost a negative connotation because it says somebody didn't want me. And it can be if, you, if it's talked that way, if it's presented that way. But I was adopted by my father Mother, natural mother, but I was adopted by my father, a little different, but adopted by my father after they were married. And I was only four years old when they were married. I, I swore up and down that I was at the wedding, you know, when they got married. <laughs> they had to tell me, Brian, you weren't at the wedding, you know. But <laughs> I don't know my memories, you know. But what that taught me was, and I related it to my spiritual life, my spiritual adoption, because adoption says, that is not based upon obligation or lawful responsibility, but that somebody chose to have a relationship with me. That spoke volumes to me. Because <laughs> you didn't have to. He married my mom, okay? He could have just been my stepdad. 99% of men do that. But he chose to adopt me and to give me a name. And so now I... He didn't have to do that. The same thing with God. When we understand the power of adoption as it pertains to salvation, that somebody chose me before the foundation of the world, that ought to make me rejoice. That ought to make me give thanks. No matter what I'm going through, that ought to make me give God praise. Because he did. And here's the thing. This is why we have to give thanks in all circumstances because I t if God never does another thing for us, 
after what he has already done, we still couldn't thank him enough for what he's already done. So I'm going to thank him for what he's already done and for what he's promised me in the future. So when I'm in the midst of my circumstance and my trouble, I'm going to thank him by faith to believe that what he has promised, I'm going to thank him already in advance. Somebody ought to give him praise for that. That's what I'm going to do because this is God's will. And he says, I'm going to thank, I, I give thanks because I know and I believe that all things work together for the good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So no matter what my circumstance or situation is, and listen, it doesn't mean to give thanks in my circumstance or my situation that I am content. It doesn't mean that I'm content. It doesn't mean that I'm happy about my present state. But what it does mean is that I accept my present state. Because if I don't accept my present state, whatever that is, then there will be complaint and worry. But if I accept it now, it's critical because now it becomes more about my response, okay, as opposed to how, and as opposed to how I feel. And my response will be, I'm thankful. God, I give you thanks. God, I give you the praise. God, I give you the glory. Because the fact of the matter is, without him, I can do nothing. Without him, I couldn't even got out of bed this morning. I couldn't even walk through those doors. But it's because of him that I'm here. Paul said it's because of his grace that I am what I am. And without him, mm, I'm nothing. And so I'm going to give him thanks. Thank him when I'm sad. I'm going to thank him when I'm happy. I'm going to be thankful when I got money in the bank. I'm going to be thankful even when I don't have money in the bank and I got to get a loan from you. I'm going to still give, give him thanks. I'm going to be thankful when I'm in relationship. And I'm going to give him thanks when I'm all by myself because of because of what he has already done and what he has promised, I owe him the thanks. I owe him praise. And I owe him everything that I have. So I continue to do what I'm doing. I continue to seek him. I continue to strive to please him. I continue to walk this walk of faith between salvation and perfection. Because I believe in what he has promised. I believe in what he has promised. For the Lord himself will, shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him to meet him in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Today, tomorrow, next week, six months down the road, encourage one another with the hope of glory. Come on, give God a praise.
if you believe in what God has promised. Come on, if you believe in what he has promised, give him, not because I'm saying it, but if you believe what he has promised, give him a praise. Give him a praise. Come on, TJ.